Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up, Findlay Mayor Christina Mern joins us to talk about taking on a new role within the U.S. Conference of Mayors with her recent appointment to the organization's advisory board. Also this morning, President Biden wants to declare our independence from the virus by the 4th of July, but it's unlikely we'll reach the 70% vaccination benchmark by then. Is a certain segment of the population unreachable? And have we reached the point of no return in the reopening process regardless? And a year after closing their downtown studio, Awakening Minds Art is still going strong and will be making themselves very visible in the community this summer. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Monday, June 21st, 2021. If you need a reason to celebrate today, it is <laughs> Atheist Solidarity Day. <laughs> today, Atheist Solidarity Day. All right. It is also Go Skateboarding Day, the International Day of Yoga today. National Day of the Gong. <laughs> that just sounds so important. The National Day of the Gong. National Peaches and Cream Day. National Selfie Day today. It is Take Your Cat to Work Day. World Giraffe Day. World Handshake Day. How cool is that? We can actually shake hands with people once again. And it is World Music Day today. So... Uh, reasons to celebrate on this Monday. Um, this is kind of interesting in the uh, post. Hope you had a, a good uh, Father's Day yesterday. Uh, happy belated Father's Day to all of the uh, dads out there. And I saw this on the uh, Newswire. I thought it was really kind of interesting. For new dads, you should be aware of this. Researchers at Children's Hospital of Chicago have found that moms are not the only ones who can suffer postpartum depression. Among parents of premature babies, one-third of new mothers were found to have postpartum depression, but so were one-fifth of new fathers. The team says the findings show that more programs are needed that are either geared towards fathers specifically or uh, are aimed at both genders, both moms and dads, to help treat depression symptoms and help new dads adjust. The lead author of the study, Dr. Craig Garfield, says our findings point to the need for increased attention to the mental health of new fathers during their baby's NICU stay and after discharge. And again, they look specifically at the parents of preemies, but uh, they say this is crucial not only for the well-being of new parents, but also for the optimal care and development of the child. So, something kind of uh, interesting there uh, in the aftermath of Father's Day. Hope you had a good one. Speaking of uh, medical issues, here is the latest internet viral challenge that doctors are warning parents about. And this comes from TikTok. Challenge that involves fake tongue piercings. Now, you would think... That initially, my thought was, hey, a fake tongue piercing has got to be better than a real tongue piercing. That is very dangerous, and doctors have said probably not the smartest thing in the world to do. But uh, doctors at Cincinnati Children's Hospital tweeted out about this uh, new challenge involving fake 
tongue piercings. Apparently, kids are pretending to have tongue studs. Now, what they are doing is placing magnetic balls on the tongue, the upper and lower side of the tongue, and the magnets uh, hold them in place, or supposedly hold them in place, but doctors warn this can be dangerous, even potentially deadly, if the kids were to accidentally swallow the magnets. Uh, Revisit the dangers of high-powered magnets and talk to your kids about those dangers, they advise. Uh, TikTok user Dr. Karen Raj warned that swallowing the magnets can cause them to clump together, which can potentially squeeze the intestines and threaten blood flow. Also added that the issue can be fatal without emergency bowel surgery. Two children have been rushed to the emergency, uh, rushed into emergency surgery due to the challenge. They've already seen two, so something. Again, you would think that uh, you know, fake tongue piercings would be safer than real uh, than the real thing, but not in this case. So. Warn your kids about this. It is uh, Prime Day today. So uh, how much stuff have you have you bought <laughs> so far? This I don't know if Prime Day is so much the thing as Black Friday, where people get up at the wee hours in the morning to make sure that they get the best deals. Amazon going to be offering up a bunch of great deals hour by hour over the next couple of days and uh, other online retailers getting into the game as well but uh, amazon this is a a huge deal for amazon and in years past it has been even bigger than black friday in the christmas shopping season black friday cyber monday and all of that um making jeff bezos even richer. And did you see this over the weekend? I happened to, this popped up on my newsfeed over the weekend, and I, I got a chuckle. You uh, heard that Jeff Bezos uh, auctioned off a seat on his uh, space trip for something like $28 million. Uh, that was uh, making headlines a couple of uh, weeks ago. So Amazon founder Jeff Bezos about to, about to go blasting off into space with a group of his closest friends and those who have paid enough to be one of his closest friends. Apparently, <laughs> this is the story, apparently thousands of people don't want him to come back. <laughs> there are two online, not one, but two online petitions that have been collect, uh, circulating online and they together have collected more than 40,000 signatures from those... <laughs> Who one would rather see Jeff Bezos stay in space? <laughs> the creator of one of the petitions argues that uh, Mr. Bezos is an evil overlord hellbent on global domination. Uh, he is set to launch in his company's Blue Origin rocket on July 20th. <laughs> now there are 40,000 people, more or less, who have signed a petition saying, please don't come back. <laughs> uh, okay. I don't think that that is, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. <clears throat> but anyway, just thought that was, uh, that was kind of funny. Uh, let's, oh, speaking of uh, social media, I happen to see this, and I thought it was uh, rather interesting, and I have noticed this trend. I don't know if you have. 
but I have noticed this trend. If you look at social media, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, you will find that these uh, zillennials, zillennials they are calling them, is a new generation. you got uh, uh, Generation X, Generation Z, uh, the millennials, now the zillennials. Those are uh, people born between 1993 and 1998. So they're right there just before the millennials, just before those who were um, born in the new millennium, but a little bit late to be Generation Z, so zillennials. Uh, you'll notice that these uh, are the, uh, this is the group of individuals creating content pining for eras gone by. Sometimes even eras before they were even born. So what is the deal with this type of escapism? Psychologist Dr. Christine Bacho says this is on par, uh, par for the course for anyone transitioning from adolescence into young adulthood. She says research, research has shown that this age group is especially likely to feel nostalgic. For teens and young adults, there is considerable conflict in abandoning childhood. And this is a human nature thing. It is not unique to this generation. It's just this generation is going through it right now. Um, she says, it is a time of identity exploration and there is a tension between wanting to be like everyone else, to be accepted, and wanting to be different, to be a unique and independent person. So this is where the interest in the past, in past decades, comes in. And the internet gives these individuals significantly more access to browse and cherry-pick the trends and cultural moments that they connect with the most. Dr. Bacho uh, adds, historical nostalgia is longing for the way things used to be a prior time in history, maybe even predating one's birth. And again, it is not necessarily unique to this generation, but because this generation is online and can curate all of that stuff and, and share it, with their friends and so on via social media, it becomes a, a big thing. Uh, this uh, type of nostalgia, they say, is also associated with a degree of dissatisfaction with current circumstances. And, of course, coming out of the pandemic, and it's been a very tough year, and so it's not a surprise that there would be some people who are dissatisfied with their current circumstances. She goes on to say, Zillennials are exploring new territory in a way as their entire lives have been digital which creates stress from social and interpersonal changes, oftentimes in the so-called public eye of social media. Anyway, just a psychological explanation of why uh, everything from days gone by, the 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, are, it is just hot right now. But again, this is not necessarily a new trend. Uh, it's just one of the reasons why you see so much of it online. Uh, and I've noticed that recently, so I just thought that was kind of interesting. So some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stuff to get your Monday morning started here. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. The WTOL 11 first alert forecast. Mostly cloudy today with showers and storms possible, a high of 81. A chance of showers tonight, a low of 54. Two bridge replacement projects will force some drivers to take a detour for several months, especially those who drive from Genera to Findlay. State Route 698 will be closed for approximately six months beginning today as two bridges are fully replaced. 
The first bridge is just south of I-75, and the second is about a mile further south at the curve in the road. Local traffic will be maintained between the bridges. A detour will be posted. The current Speaker of the Ohio House has outlined the process to replace former House Speaker Larry Householder, who was recently ousted from the chamber. House Speaker Bob Cup announced Friday that residents of the 72nd House District are eligible for appointment to what was Householder's seat. They can submit a cover letter and resume to HD 72 appointment at ohiohouse.gov by Wednesday, June 23rd at 5 p.m. The term for this seat runs through December of next year. The 72nd District covers Coshocton, Perry, and Licking Counties. Householder awaits trial on federal racketeering charges related to a $60 million bribery scheme. Daniel Barnett, ONN News. Officials say the nationwide blood shortage is getting even worse. Todd James is executive director of the American Red Cross of North Central Ohio in Findlay. We need folks to please find a blood drive near you. Make an appointment today by visiting redcrossblood.org, calling 800-RED-CROSS. You can download and use the free Red Cross Blood Donor app. And one upcoming blood drive in Findlay will be at the First Presbyterian Church on South Main Street on Wednesday. On our website, we have a link where you can see other upcoming blood drives. Urban Meyer won a lot of games at Ohio State and at other college football programs, but now he's in a very different world as he prepares to lead the Jacksonville Jaguars in the NFL. That's going to be something that you're going to have to, you know, I don't want to say get used to because you won't, but it's reality. The whole league is designed to go 8-8, eight and eight, and uh, I just took over a team that won 1-15, so reality is going to set in, but we're going to try to win every game we play. The Jaguars take on the Browns in the preseason on August 14th. Get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Our cover story this morning, Finley Mayor Christina Mern is with us. Uh, she recently was uh, named to the advisory board of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. And uh, Mayor Mern, thanks very much for uh, being with us once My again. pleasure. Good morning. It's a, uh, a big deal taking on a, a new role within the uh, Conference of Mayors. Before we get to that, though, I want to uh, mention this because earlier, it's not the only uh, recent uh, honor that you've had earlier this month. Uh, you made a, a presentation to the, now I want to make sure that I get this right. It is the um, it's the Global Impact the Global Forum. Impact <laughs> Forum. Okay. So what what is this? Yeah. So the Global Impact Forum was the annual conference for the Global Leadership Coalition. And mm-hmm. the Global Leadership Coalition is a bipartisan organization advocating for international affairs and pretty much involved the U.S. outside of the U.S. on diplomatic matters, foreign aid, recognizing that the the U.S. has a, an important role to play mm-hmm. around the world to be able to, one, benefit our economy, but two, also promote peace and stability in the rest of the world. Those are pretty heavy topics. They are. Not <laughs> something that uh, initially, I'm going to be honest, uh, you know, when these are all important topics. But not something immediately that I would think, oh, well, the city of Findlay and the, the mayor of the city of Findlay, Ohio, would have uh, something to add to that conversation. So what was the subject of, of your presentation? Yeah, so my presentation specifically was talking, it was a panel discussion between myself, um, the, the national engagement leader for the Global Leadership Coalition, and mm-hmm. then the deputy mayor of Los Angeles, actually. And so we were talking about the, the role that smaller communities and mayors have to play in international affairs. And I think many times individuals don't think of the 
it's the city of Finley or small businesses um, really being affected by foreign affairs, but we have extensive import and export business that impacts our local or sure. businesses, yeah. whether it be our manufacturing. You know, we've, we've seen the ripple effect from the automobile, uh, you know, microchip shortage. Yeah. And, uh, and that's really the most visible uh, aspect of that, I think, for most folks here uh, locally. We've uh, certainly had uh, folks go on uh, junkets uh, here locally yeah. uh, to our sister uh, city uh, in Japan and other uh, locations uh, overseas to uh, foster that you know, relationship. The big thing for me, one, so my background's in economics. And so yeah. this is something that I'm very interested in, that I'm passionate about, and that I think that folks across the aisles, across the spectrum of opinions need to be engaged on so that folks understand the ripple effect that decisions, you know, in other countries or when we place a tariff on something coming in, what does that effect look like across our country? Mm -hmm. uh, and I guess by extension, some of that uh, also plays into your new role here within the U.S. Conference of Mayors? Yeah, somewhat. So I think the biggest thing with the U.S. Conference of Mayors, again, a bipartisan organization of mayors from cities that have populations of 30,000 or more. So there's about 5,000 cities in the U.S. that uh, fall under that umbrella. Um, I believe there's at least 4,000. I don't know the specific number of mayors involved in the U.S. Conference, but it's a large organization. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it provides a couple of venues. One, like the networking and knowledge sharing that you get. Every community is experiencing similar issues, but it looks different. Um, so being able to call a colleague and say, hey, how are you dealing with this? Or what are you experiencing? Or what did you do with that? Or where did you find funding for that? Um, provides benefit. But we also are very engaged um, at the federal, state and federal level. Being mm -hmm. able to say, be that resource for you know the White House or Congress to say, hey, this is what's being discussed. What does that look like if it plays out at your local community? And if you may recall, I attended a couple of events at the White House under the Trump administration related mm -hmm. to affordable housing um, and what what our local communities are dealing with that. So it's a lot about ad advocacy and education and, and making sure that communities similar to Finley are represented in those conversations. Well, and, and with respect to that, uh, you in speaking about your role on the advisory board, you were talking about bringing uh, a, a voice, a, a different voice, a unique voice uh, to that advisory board. Was that with respect to, I mean, everything uh, <laughs> in politics is, is partisan. Uh, were you looking at a, a, a partisan type of, uh, of thing, or is it more big city versus small city, that kind of thing? Yes to both. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the, the advisory board is 32 mayors from across the country, and they two-thirds of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, two-thirds of the mayors of cities over 30,000 are Democrats. Mm -hmm. um, and, and across, again, across the spectrum, there are independents, there are more moderate um, you know, Democrats. It's been, it's, it's been brought out. It's been brought up that at the local level, there is less of that partisanship, Democrat versus Republican. I mean, certainly there are different philosophies when it comes right. to regulations and, you know, zoning, building codes, you know, all of those types of things. But you see less of the partisanship at the local level than you would say at the state or the national Definitely. level. Definitely. And I think, you know, when, when we get together as mayors, there are certain part, per, certainly partisan issues and, mm -hmm. and certainly different approaches. Um, but overall, you know, we, we frequently say there's 
there's no Republican or Democratic way to fill a pothole. Like, as, as yeah. mayor, you are responsible for those basic services that no matter who is using them, they have to be there. They have to be effective. Mm. You, you have to manage the budget. You have to do all these different things. So when, when I was looking at getting involved with the U.S. Conference of Mayors, it definitely was from a more conservative viewpoint, but also from a smaller community. Um, and Finley is unique in that we have strong agricultural presence, you know, in the 5th Congressional District. We have strong, man, you know, logistics and manufacturing. Um, we have a strong corporate presence. And so we kind of understand each of those avenues. And again, those those effects that policy can have on each of them. And um, just how can we continue to be a growing, thriving community um, when that's not necessarily the case across the country? So what will uh, that uh, responsibility as part of the uh, advisory board what will that look like and what what will that require with respect to uh, time and energies and resources <laughs> and so on yeah so it's not a, an extensive commitment there are certainly times where it will be a little more demanding overall um, we have about month we have monthly calls with mm -hmm. kind of all of the advisory board to discuss um, issues things can come up more frequently obviously during the pandemic they were meeting a little more often we were having weekly calls for all of the mayors yeah um but then there are also opportunities for m more meetings in dc meetings across the country um get, just getting more involved overall so it's not an extensive demand there mm -hmm. it, and it really is kind of up to me on what level i engage even in the advisory board um so it's It'll be interesting to see, but it's not anything that is going to take away from my responsibilities as mayor. That's obviously my top priority. And that, uh, again, leads to the question that is always <laughs> asked whenever you know we talk about involvement with the U.S. Uh, Conference of Mayors. Certainly uh, a feather in Finley's cap, a feather in your, your cap personally, but what specifically does the, does the city get out of uh, a, a relationship or an involvement such as this? Yeah, so... I, one, definitely the awareness of the community. It opens up doors for businesses and investors, and it, it, it gets Finley's name out there more. And one thing that I am learning that, you know, that I've said really from day one, but I'm seeing it more and more, is this lack of awareness of our community. There are certain circles that are very aware of the city of Finley, Ohio. But what are we doing to get our name out more broadly? And that starts by those business connections, by working with other mayors by being at these events so that our name is is in the newspapers is at these conferences is is at that the second is definitely the the education the opportunities i think anytime folks get in a role one of the first things they do is how can i connect with other professionals in my field and i think if i wasn't in this role if i was in any other job folks would be like of course you need to be in mm -hmm. that professional organization you need to show up at those events you need to make those connections you right. need to get those resources and as we've seen historically it also provides a lot of grant opportunities um it, it really just is uh, a great connection to kind of a pipeline of other resources and this will be what type of a uh, commitment I mean, is this a year-long two-year commitment i mean it is to my knowledge it is i am on it until i do not want to be on it or i'm okay. no longer in the role <laughs> okay so hopefully okay. i don't get kicked fair, off you know but fair enough. i didn't know if there was a, a term uh, involved i but, don't believe so okay uh again we'll look forward to uh more uh, involvement with the uh, u.s conference of mayors uh and how that impacts the uh, city of finley uh, moving forward uh, finley mayor christina mern with us uh, this morning christina thanks very much for dropping by thanks, we appreciate Chris, it great to see you
Well, the goal was to get 70% of eligible Americans vaccinated by the 4th of July. Now it looks like we may not get there until the end of the month. Uh, Dr. Stephen Gordon is with us uh, this morning. He's chairman of the Department of Infectious Diseases at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation and associate professor of medicine at the Lerner College of Medicine, Case Western Reserve uh, University. Dr. Gordon, in, in any journey uh, into travel seasons now, as I would, uh, use this analogy, in any journey, the last mile or two is often the most difficult. And that is certainly true in this case. You uh, you got the, the, the people who were eager to get the vaccine. Then you got those who were kind of on the fence and uh, those maybe who are a little bit hesitant, the closer you get to 70%, the more you are battling uh, this uh, higher level of vaccine hesitancy. What is causing that among those who are still uh, among the unvaccinated? What is the biggest hurdle now? Um, well, thanks for that question, Chris, and opening, but I just, just want to push back a little on the fact that we're reaching a magic number. I want to celebrate the fact that with the onset and deployment of vaccine here in the homeland, um, which has gone on since December, we're in a much stronger position now. So if we go back to March of 2020, we were talking about lockdowns and, and, and that was to prevent an overwhelming burden for our healthcare systems to get overrun. Right. And mo- many of our systems, as you know, in Toledo, Cleveland, we were close. I mean, we did get overrun. And the, what the vaccine has done and the fact that so many Americans have stuck up their arms, that threat is now diminished. Um, and so let's celebrate that aspect of it. We're seeing community transmission rates decline, as you know. And in terms of people who are above 65, we've seen vaccine uptake, uh, you know, close to over 80 to 90 percent. Now, as you say, um, well, the battle's not over. And it is a journey, as you said. And there's many reasons why people may be hesitant some of that is the confidence uh, is not there yet in the vaccine. Um, we hear about, you know, that it went too quickly. We say that it went uh, to the speed of science, that no safety issues were, were unmet, and the, the safety profile is still excellent. Other, other hesitancy may have to do with, well, you know, I want it, but, but it's still not accessible to me yet, you know, in terms of where I work or getting to these centers. So we're now decentralizing and deploying it into not just pharmacies, but primary care. And here at the clinic, we're beginning to give vaccines in hospitalized patients upon discharge. Um, And the other is just the conversations. Um, So I may not have been, you know, undecided a month ago, but now as as confidence is gained, I see other peers in in my system. Now I'm ready to get that vaccine. So the way I view it is it's, it's not a no, it's a no, maybe. Um, and we'll continue to offer and to meet people where they are. And also, as you know, rolling out to now children. So where anyone above the age of 12 now has a vaccine uh, with his or her name on it. And hopefully by the end of the year, we'll be able to offer uh, when those studies come out to children, maybe even um, as young as six months. So what do you say to convince those who are still resistant to the vaccine or is there anything that you can do for those or that you can say to those who are adamant that they are are not interested in getting the vaccine are there some who are i I guess for lack of a better term just a lost cause and we're just going to have to deal with that so putting my clinician hat on no one's a lost cause right everyone every 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 person or every patient i see is 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 interested in and so I think what we emphasize or I emphasize is, you know, to have that trusted conversation. 
the first thing I think any patient wants is for someone to listen to them, not judge them. You know, in this, whether it's about vaccine, whether it's about their chief complaint. So many of us have reschooled and retooled that on our listening, you know, I mean, and trying to understand where is the hesitancy coming from and then trying to, to look at those barriers to continue that dialogue. Um, and it may not be done on the first conversation, but to start the dialogue and to listen carefully to what our patients are saying in terms of why they may be hesitant and then to try to meet that with information and have a shared decision about moving forward. Is there frustration uh, among the medical community that so much of this has been politicized and that some of the hesitancy comes from a pure, purely political belief that uh, somehow this is all a big conspiracy uh, that is politically motivated somehow? Well, I'll try to stay out of the political waters. I'll say one thing as a, you know, having just come back from rounds this, this morning. Um, yes, I, I, I don't want to treat patients with severe COVID anymore. It is heartbreaking in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, no blame there at all. And so that to, that's to us what drives us. As an infectious disease physician, we'd much rather prevent infection than treat it. And as you know, the treatment for COVID-19 is really supportive. We don't have any magic bullets. Yeah. So again, the best, the best treatment is prevention. And we're fortunately here in the homeland to have not just one vaccine, but three very you know great vaccines that are highly uh, effective and also great safety profiles. You so that is the other reason why many of us are um, you know are not trying to push the vaccine but just trying to make sure that's part of the dialogue. Yeah, you bring up a good point that uh, for all of the vaccines that we're talking about, there's still, for those who can track COVID-19, not a real effective uh, treatment. It's more uh, just palliative care and uh, you know doing what we can to get people through it rather than uh, actually proactively treating it. So there is that still uh, that is out there, which is uh, certainly uh, something that people have to keep in mind and weigh into the equation. Uh, you mentioned earlier... You are comfortable with the uh, reopening uh, of, uh, you know, we get into summer travel season, people are traveling again, restrictions being lifted. You're comfortable with where we are now? Uh, no hesitancy that if we see an, ups, uh, an uptick in cases, another, uh, another surge, that we've kind of let the genie out of the bottle and it will be very difficult to, you know, rein things in again if necessary? Well, I think you bring up some good points, Chris. So, you know, one thing, as I mentioned up front, is um, what this virus has taught me personally is a lot of uh, humility. Right? I mean, yeah. so I, I would not underestimate this pathogen. And as you know, um, it, it's, it's kind of a tale of two cities. Um, even in America, there are pockets that are, say, less, less, less protected with vaccination than others. But globally, it's a different story, right? Only about 3% of the world uh, is vaccinated. So, um, and this is a global virus, right? I mean, it doesn't stop at any borders. So that, that's out there. And because it's an RNA virus and mutates, you know, everyone talks about the variants of concern or variants of high impact. Um, it is potentially possible that, that another quote unquote strain may develop that, that becomes more resistant uh, to our vaccines. All of us have heard about the Delta or the Indian variant that's much more transmissible. Mm -hmm. um, and so it doesn't need as much space to kind of travel and where it's traveling, it can also obviously mutate. So I think we're in a privileged position here, but I'm not satisfied where we are, but I do want to celebrate where, you know, that we're in a much stronger position than we were a year ago. Yeah. Um, and Be we have the opportunity to kind of squeeze the virus yeah. so that community transmission is reduced 
in the morbidity mortality of people who get sick uh, lowers. So we can hopefully put this more to um, a kind of a nuisance, not that we're going to eliminate it, as opposed to our central focus for our health care. Yeah, I, I like how you put that. We're kind of in a privileged position uh, that we were not in uh, even three, four, six months ago, whatever it might happen to be. Because the, the point has been made that, again, uh, part of the reason why we're seeing the decline is because of the seasonal nature of this. We saw a decline uh, when the warmer weather hit uh, last year, too. And then you know, when it turned colder, again, we saw an uptick. So how big of a concern uh, is that at this point since we've got the virus or the uh, vaccine to add into the equation so you bring up other points and let's don't forget is that um respiratory viral season at least for us in this part of the hemisphere is going to come in september and we did not see a lot of influenza activity last year yeah. in part because uh you know international travel was down distancing was down masking was up uh but as the mask as you said come off we have to be prepared for other things covid and some of us obviously are looking in our healthcare hospitals that, you know, there could be masking, not just for COVID, but to protect against respiratory viruses amongst our, our most vulnerable patients. So we've learned a lot about how effective uh, some of these things are, not just for COVID, but for other respiratory viruses that, as you know, cause significant morbidity and mortality amongst our very young and our very elderly. The fight continues. Again, Dr. Stephen Gordon is chairman of the Department of Infectious Diseases at the Cleveland Clinic Foundation, associate professor of medicine at the Lerner College of Medicine, Case Western Reserve University. Dr. Gordon, thanks very much for your insight. We appreciate it. Chris, thank you, and thank you for getting the messages out. We truly appreciate that, too. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. You know, during the pandemic, there was a uh, large uptick in the number of people uh, sexting and uh, sending uh, racy photographs to their significant others when they couldn't, you know, get together uh, like uh, like we used to. And uh, along with that, an uptick in the number of uh, mistaken <laughs> photos or uh, photos that were sent to mistaken people. Here's a case uh, shared on uh, social media. Uh, recently, a woman named Kimberly uh, recently shared uh, to uh, TikTok what happened when she accidentally sent a uh, nude photo, nude selfie, to her grandmother. <laughs> Oops. <clears throat> uh, if you've ever sent to the wrong uh, photo to the wrong person, you know how embarrassing that can be. Imagine sharing a nude selfie with your grandma. In the post, she uh, shares her grandmother's uh, response. Uh, Grandma texted her back, says, Kimberly, what is this? This better not have been sent to a man or I will disown you. Also, you need new lingerie. (laughs) So, Grandma actually offered to take her shopping. I'm not sure which would be the more embarrassing thing, sending, uh, accidentally sending a uh, nude selfie to your grandma or going shopping for lingerie with your grandma, which... (laughs) Oh, goodness. Elsewhere in the broken news this morning, always got to be something uh, out of the state of Florida, and an argument over cream cheese has a man facing charges. Omar Wright arrested last week for allegedly pulling a gun on employees at a local Starbucks in Miami Gardens. 
the 38-year-old was apparently upset that he didn't get cream cheese with his bagel order. And, <laughs> well, that seemed to be the uh, reasonable response for anyone. You don't get cream cheese with your bagel. What else do you do but pull a gun on the employee? That's, he's now been charged with aggravated assault. Uh, one, one of the employees... Uh, this was his, his biggest mistake. Uh, what he didn't know was one of the employees happened to be the 23-year-old daughter of the chief of the uh, police department. So, <laughs> oops. <clears throat> uh, let's see here. This is a an odd theft. We sometimes have odd thefts, but this one takes the cake. Or the pistachios, as the case may be. A California pistachio company's investigation into the disappearance of thousands of pounds of its inventory has led to a truck driver who may have been running an illegal pistachio operation out of the trucking yard. (laughs) An illegal pistachio operation being run right out of the trucking yard. The tractor trailer had allegedly been moved from the uh, trucking lot in uh, Delno, uh, California, to a nearby unnamed lot, uh, according to report from the uh, Tulare County Sheriff's Office. There it was discovered that the missing pistachios were stuffed inside 2,000-pound sacks. Apparently, the plan was to move the pistachios into smaller bags and resell them on the black market. I didn't know there was a pistachio black market, but things in California sometimes are weird. The uh, report confirms that the remaining pistachios were returned to the Touchstone Pistachio Company. Alberto Montemayor, age 34, of Montemayor Trucking, was arrested in connection with the incident. (laughs) So if somebody comes up to you on the street, offers to, hey, want to buy some pistachios? Give you a good price on some pistachios. (laughs) They may be hot. (laughs) Be careful. Um, crazy story here from the international file. Imagine walking down the street, minding your own business, when you are nearly crushed to death by a flying sofa. That's what happened to one woman in Turkey. Apparently, Mesut Duran of Istanbul bought a new sofa for his apartment, but he was too lazy to take his old one down the stairs, he lives in like a second or third floor apartment, and he didn't want to take the old one, uh, old sofa down the stairs, so he decided to speed up the removal process by chucking the old sofa right out his window. <laughs> well, he, he, he failed to notice that his neighbor was outside at the very moment he decided to give his old couch the heave-ho. Luckily, the uh, sofa missed the woman... But uh, the uh, a news report, local news reports say she could have been crushed to death had she been standing a few inches to her left. The entire incident captured on the building's security footage, which also shows the woman glaring at Mr. Duran and pointing at him as she walks away. <laughs> when, when speaking with the media, Mr. Duran admitted to his laziness. He said, I bought a new sofa. I looked. I didn't see anyone in front of the building. So I decided it was okay to just throw the old sofa out of the window. Uh, Unfortunately, my neighbor came out of the building just as I threw the sofa down, and it almost 
fell on her. She was scared, understandably. I was also shocked when she suddenly came out of the building. Uh, Mr. Duran says he regrets his boneheaded decision and uh, also admitted that she had a lucky escape and I was almost a murderer. (laughs) His neighbor has not commented on the incident. There you go. Uh, That is today's Broken News Report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. It's the WFIN Virtual Car Show. Get them out, shine them up, and upload a pic of your classic, and we'll post it to WFIN.com for everybody to see. In addition, we'll have an online car show calendar so that you know when and where all the area shows are. It's chrome and horsepower on display online. The WFIN Virtual Car Show and Calendar. Thanks to Details Auto Spa, Loritz Chevrolet Cadillac, and 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Today's Daily Download Now, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. This actually is uh, less of a survey and more of an open-ended question that was posed on Reddit uh, the other day. I think it was uh, yesterday, day before yesterday, sometime over the weekend. I, I thought this was really interesting. It was the, the question was, what is something that you were bullied for growing up that has now become trendy? And I, I really kind of uh, honed in on this because... Uh, we talk about uh, you know bullying being a uh, a big issue, and uh, we want to help our kids stand up to bullies and uh, look beyond the bullying and and so on. And here is a perfect example of that uh, that just speaks to the fact that sometimes what you're bullied for when you were younger actually turns out to be you you know, you you turn out to be a trendsetter uh, as uh, things change over time. So uh, some of the responses. To the question, what is something you were bullied for growing up that has now become trendy? And uh, one person said, I used to get bullied for my thick eyebrows. Now I get complimented. <laughs> this is one example. Uh, there are some other ones here. Uh, wearing glasses used to be, I mean, I remember when I was uh, young, we made fun of, you know, I hate to say it, but we made fun of the kids with glasses. Oh, four eyes. And now it's very dignified. Wear glasses, and I wear glasses myself, so it's uh, obviously a very different uh, take on it. Korean food, kimchi, and lettuce wraps. Definitely not cool when I was a kid, said one responder. Now, you know, in today's uh, healthy eating mentality, it's all the rage, things like that. Uh, I like this one. I was bullied when I was a kid for wearing hand-me-down clothes, and now it's vintage and cool to shop at secondhand stores. <laughs> uh, expanding on that point, somebody said being interested in old things. Uh, and, and it seems like everybody is going antiquing these days. It is a trendy thing to do. And, uh, you know, the shabby chic uh, is a decorating home decorating trend, you know. So uh, that's kind of cool. being a redhead uh, is uh, considered trendy these days. Um, being a girl who liked boy things, one person said. Used to get bullied because I was a girl who liked boy things, like video games and sci-fi and and so on. One person went on to say, uh, 
over the past couple of uh, decades, there's been a boom in the nerd culture. So literally everything I was bullied for when I was a kid is now on trend. So anyway, uh, just some of the uh, interesting responses from this uh, Reddit thread on things that we were bullied for as kids that now have become trendy. And so maybe you can use that. Uh, if you have a, a kid who's been picked on at school or, or feels ostracized sometimes, you know, bring these things up and uh, remind him or her that uh, some of these things that uh, kids can be very cruel about do turn out to be trendy when all is said and done. So it was about a year ago that Awakening Minds Art uh, closed their downtown studio. And at the time, we spoke with uh, founder Sarah Crisp uh, about what the future might hold. And she assured us that they would still be around. They're still going to uh, do what they do, their uh, special programming, community programming. And indeed, here a year later, they're going to make be making themselves very visible in the community this summer development director emily sullivan is with us uh, on the line this morning and emily i have to admit when we talked with sarah about a year ago about the uh, closing of the downtown studio had to wonder in the back of my mind uh would you be able to you know, keep this going post pandemic and i'm sure that there were uh, some some anxious moments over the course of the past year <laughs> there sure were um <laughs> so we uh, it ended up being a very smart decision mm-hmm. on our leadership team's behalf to shut down those doors um, of our rented space downtown. And um, just because of how long it's been going on. Sure. So we were able to save all of that money mm-hmm. um, that we would have been putting into a rented building. And, um, and here we are now. So since August, we have gradually reopened some of our programs. And um, just since April, we actually have a new studio space down um, on Tiffany Avenue, and we can call that home and provide group and one-on-one programs again uh, in that space. Indeed, uh, you have really ramped up uh, the uh, community programs, not just the uh, specialty programs, uh, programming that you have uh, done all along. Now have really ramped up uh, many of the community programs. I know you have done a, a number of those just within the uh, past month or so. Sure, yeah, we just started our, our summer community programs for anyone to register online and come do some art with us. Um, what are that's, some of that's what, really exciting? What are some of those uh, programs for those who might be interested? Kind of give us an overview of the type of programming we're talking about that will be happening through the summer. Sure, so our community programs. We have a painting class, uh, which everyone knows and loves. Those are open to all ages, all abilities. Uh, we have four of those this summer. Um, I believe we just had our first. Mm-hmm. We also have a kids, a kids class um, that's called My Favorite Animal. Um, and so that's drawing and painting for children. We also have a sketchbook club. So if you see a group of people sketching around town every Wednesday morning, that is us. Um, and we're just relaxing in the, the nice summer weather and having a nice social sketching class. Um, and uh, we also, we just wrapped up a colored pencil class. So we have uh, a few options. We also have the option for private groups. 
So if you get your own group together and you want to choose your own painting, you can get a hold of us and, and we'll set something up for you. So you can choose the location and the, the artwork. So to help facilitate all of that, do you find that people, especially after uh, such a crazy year that we've all experienced, uh, really uh, the, the simplicity of uh, just creating art uh, has, is sort of cathartic at this point and, and, and really is, uh, you know, just rediscovering those simple pleasures has been uh, something I, I would imagine a lot of people have uh, really appreciated. Absolutely. I, I mean, and plus getting out and, and doing it with other people yeah. in a safe environment. That's, um, that's been wonderful. And it's always a stress relief to go and do art. So um, especially after a time like this. It feels good. It yeah. feels good for all of us. No question. And that really, uh, and that really, it kind of speaks to uh, the mission of Awakening Minds Art uh, to begin with. I mean, it really kind of plays into what it is that you were uh, designed to do from the very beginning. Yes, we we believe art will benefit absolutely everyone, no matter your age, no matter your ability in art, um, and and we should and we. We aim to make it accessible to you, yeah. no matter who you are. Now, uh, we mentioned you are going to be making yourselves very visible in the community mm-hmm. this summer. This is maybe the most exciting thing uh, to uh, to come down in quite a while, the Community Mural Project. Tell us more about this. Yay, yes. Um, we're really excited. So this whole year has really been about one of our main focus areas is giving back to the community as much as possible. And, um, and the theme of the year is art makes me stronger. So one of the ways that it makes, um, makes us stronger is through unifying people, through bringing us together, through conversations, through hands-on work together um, as a gift to one another. And so one of those projects that we're doing this year is our community murals. And we are looking for, um, we're lo- looking for local artists and business owners I'm sorry, excuse me, building owners to participate and help bring up to 10 murals throughout the city uh, and the surrounding areas. Now, we have um, seen we've seen a number of these uh, murals pop up on uh, the sides of buildings here in town uh, in recent years. And you're looking to, you know, so people would be kind of familiar with the concept. You're looking at finding uh, even more spaces and even more artists to do more of those. Yes. And we're not looking for giant full wall murals. Uh, what we're looking for is really um, like a, an interactive way for people to get out of their cars, to come up on the sidewalk, to take photographs in front of the work, um, and to feel a connection to it. Hmm. So some of uh, our examples that we were inspired by are like um, some cities do butterfly wings on walls. Ah. And uh, just the wings um, outspread, and then people can come pose in front of them and have some fun with that. Yeah. So, uh, how will this work? Kind of give us the the nuts and bolts on this. Sure. So, we have on our website, awakeningmindsart.org, and you can get to it right from that homepage. We have an application process that if you are a local artist and you would like to submit a design, uh, you can submit that design right there. And then... um, 
Also, if you own a wall, an exterior <laughs> wall in Finley, um, we want to hear from you too. So again, right from that um, that homepage, you can click in and it'll say building owners, learn more and register your exterior wall here. And you can let us know that you would be willing to have us um, or a local artist put up uh, put up a mural on your wall. I, I got a chuckle out of that. Register your wall here. <laughs> you're <laughs> yes. building owner. Uh, you're good. But that is uh, really a, a wonderful uh, a wonderful thing, especially, uh, again, as we sort of get out and become social again, and we'll see more and more people out and about, this will be a, a wonderful thing. And and uh, I, obviously, uh, this is uh, something that uh, uh, you got a, uh, you got a, a grant I- in order to make this happen. You're going to uh, help provide uh, not only... Uh, kind of connecting the uh, building owners and the artists, but also uh, provide uh, some of the resources for artists to be able to uh, create uh, these works of art. Yes. Um, Thanks to the Mariana Hofer Endowment Fund, we are able to give a $500 stipend to all of our artists. And so that will be in order to compensate for supplies and their time. And uh, we're, we're really excited that we can then give back to the artists a little bit financially, but mm. then we also will have our website, um, some of our website pages dedicated to those artists, to their processes, to their stories and inspirations, and we'll be able to promote them through social media as well. It is. As well as all the sponsors and the, and the building owners as well, yeah. so we can increase their foot traffic and... Um, yeah, win-win. Help beautify the city. Yeah, win-win uh, all, all the way around. Now, uh, there is a uh, deadline, kind of it gives the timeline for this. There's a deadline coming up uh, for the uh, registration, and then when do you hope to have uh, all of the uh, murals completed? So our, our deadline for submission, and that is the submission for your artwork if you're an artist, and a submission if you're a building owner, uh, that is July 6th. Okay. So that is coming up. And then we're hoping uh, by the end of, uh, excuse me, by the end of September to have all of the murals up on the walls. And uh, we're hoping to get a little self-guided tour going on with maybe a, awesome. maybe a little party at the end. Yeah, that will be uh, <laughs> awesome. Again, uh, Awakening Minds Art Development Director Emily Salvo with us this morning uh, talking about the uh, latest happenings at AMA and of course the uh, Community Mural Project. We've got a link up at our webpage at goodmornings.net so folks can learn more uh, about it. Such a a really cool uh, thing and again uh, making themselves very visible in the community uh, this summer at Awakening Minds Art. Emily, thanks very much for the update. We appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And that will put a wrap on our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net is where you find us online. Till tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.